Elise Glink joins us today, a Friday, not our usual Monday slot. Still good to have you, Elise. Welcome back. Well, thank you, John. Nice to be here. Can't believe it's the end of the year. Yeah, it is. And I know you've got some end of the year and start of the new year thoughts for us. By the way, just before you came on, we visited with a couple from Indiana whose son is going to college downtown. They bought a condo for him in the city in the Printer's Row, part of the South Loop. Spent two and a quarter, $500 a month in HOA fees, um, about $5,000 a year in taxes. Out the door, 1800 bucks a month for an 800-square-foot, one-bedroom condo with nice finishes, new appliances, clean floors and walls, that sort of thing. Uh, they paid 5% for their money. What do you make of that deal? Are you surprised? What do you think of that? Well, you know, Chicago was just ranked as one of the most affordable places to buy uh, in the country and a place where home prices are expected to continue to increase rather than decrease, which many of the other major markets are doing. And as you and I have talked all year and actually over the last few years, Chicago really hasn't appreciated at the same rate. So what is going up in Chicago is the cost of rentals. And so paying $1,800 a month for a Sounds like a pretty new, or redone anyway, condo yeah. mm-hmm. right near where he needs to go to school. They would probably pay that for a lot lower quality and less space. Uh, so maybe they got a good deal. And plus, maybe they'll benefit from rising prices. Oh, I think so. I, I know they bought it. The, <clears throat> they feel like they missed the boat on interest rates. They're paying five instead of three. But I think that prices are... I don't know. I, I was pleased for them. I, she said, and it, she said, you know, that's a million dollars in Manhattan or New York or whatever. Oh, uh, easy. Well, I know that's another that's another planet. Uh, <laughs> Chicago is Chicago, and I think that I just felt when I saw that I thought, well, what gives here? And I thought, you're downtown. You're in the South Loop, and that's the discount. That's what. You, that's that's why you're getting a better price, and. Maybe the market is going to improve. Maybe the perception or the reality of safety is going to improve. Maybe more people are going to come downtown. They described it as pretty vibrant and busy where their son is at a college campus there. At Columbia, Roosevelt's nearby, etc. So they were very happy, felt safe. Um, I think they're going to get their money back. Well, not only that, I mean, this is the kind of thing that if you're going to be re- doing uh, rentals and renting it out over time, you know, the $1,800 a month, they probably can easily get covered by somebody else who's going to come in and rent it, whether it's another student going forward or maybe it's a, you know, a young couple or young person starting out. But in any case, they've locked in their costs now, more or less. And when interest rates go down, which they will eventually, they will be able to refinance. What's interesting is that, you know, we're ending the year with interest rates a lot higher than what they paid. Uh, The typical mortgage interest rate is nearing 7% right now for somebody with perfect credit, 7.5% for somebody with a 700, which is average for the U.S. Hmm. All right, let's leave that one and then go to everybody else here. We'll pause. Elise is on the line. Home buyers, home sellers, personal finance, some maybe resolutions for you this year with Elise coming up. This is the Wintrust Business Lunch on WGN Elise Glink from Think Glink Media, who will, with Tom Fortino, begin hosting a new show Sundays, another half hour of the show they've been doing for a while, the week in, this week in wealth. And that's going to start. Am I right about this now, Elise? Uh, next you week? Are. 
Yeah, it's actually it starts on Sunday, on the first this Sunday. Uh, it's seven a.m. If I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. for a whole hour. You're doing resolutions for home buyers and sellers. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, it's been such a year of never befores, John. I, I mean, really, you you and I have talked about some of these. As I was reviewing the year, I thought, boy, anybody trying to buy or sell this year, it's just been kind of complicated. Is is the way to say it? We've never seen interest rates jump up this quickly. Do you? You probably don't remember this, but about a year ago, interest rates were three point eleven. 3.11%, according to the Fed. Um, they hit a high of about 7.5%, <laughs> and then they came back down a little bit. Uh, really crazy. We've also never before seen home values na- nationwide skyrocket. They appreciated 94.5% from the first quarter of 2013 to the second quarter of 2022. That's a 60.8% rise after inflation. And really, real estate... Historically, like for over 100 years, always appreciated at just over the rate of inflation. This is like 60, almost 61% above that. And then, of course, we've never just never seen um, interest rates, really. I just have to go back to that again, because what happens normally is when interest rates go up as much as they do, housing prices go down. So we have never before seen interest rates go up. And housing prices continue to go up. It's just uh, been a remarkable year. So frustrating for buyers, sort of good for sellers, although a lot of them didn't want to sell because they had locked in such a low interest rate. And uh, real estate agents and mortgage lenders, sorry out of luck for a lot of those people. Well, I know there's a, there's a formula, right? I wonder, say you got it at 5% um, mm-hmm. and you wish you'd gotten 3 Or say you got it at 7 and now it's at 5 at what point does it make sense for you to refinance? Right. It it makes sense. Um, you have to think about how long you're going to keep the property. So if you're going to sell the property, you know, within a year and you can get a no-cost refinance, which there are a few of those out there, and you can start saving money today, go ahead and refinance. Because even if you're just saving 50 bucks a month, why wouldn't you want to do that? Um, if you are going to keep the property for a little while and you want to, you know, sort of pay a little bit more up front and get an even lower interest rate, but that means you won't pay off the amount you use, you spend to refinance for a couple of years, but you're going to keep it 10 years, sure, go ahead and refinance. That probably makes sense as well. But a lot of people right now are not doing anything because they think that interest rates are in such flux. What the Fed is scheduled to do next year is continue to raise interest rates at least two or three more times. And they seem to be very determined to follow through on that, John. Really? So if I was going to buy a house next year, I might be wise to act sooner than later. Yes, I would I would say that that's uh, correct, especially because housing prices keep going up. Uh, one of the things that's well, but interest rates. But I'm, I'm wondering about interest rates. The, the cost of the money is... You said if the Fed's going to raise rates, I presume that'll affect mortgage rates, right? And It does, but here's the thing. Housing prices have been continuing to increase. So the difference, if you had waited just from, let's say, 2021 to 2022 to buy your house, right? Not only would interest rates have been higher, but the amount that you had to finance because housing costs are higher has also gone up. And so what a lot of people have found is that the difference between buying the fictional same house last year and this year, you might have been paying an extra 50% 
in your monthly mortgage payment simply because interest rates went up and the price of the house went up. It's funny, though, because another version of that has been that while interest rates were going up, that was flattening the market and prices were coming down a little bit. So maybe the house didn't cost as much, but the money costs more. And mm-hmm. I think people have been trying to figure out, when do I pull the, pull the trigger? If, if the inventory is still tight, but rates are going to go up, then if you think you've got to buy a house in the spring of next year, uh, maybe don't wait until June to do it. I, I, that's me just thinking out loud here. That, that's, the, that's the logic train you've got me on, right? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. You just have to make a decision about where you're going to be and how long you're going to stay. Because I'm here to tell you that this whole idea that you're going to double your money in two years and get out and pocket all that change probably won't happen the way you, you're imagining. Okay. So advice for buyers, I don't know that this is a resolution, would be um, um, get, your, get your act in gear because you, you're going to need to act. Uh, what other pieces of advice or resolutions would you have for home buyers next year? Well, it's really about what you can afford. Now, as all of these costs have gone up, many people's income has gone up as well. And so you may be able to afford that more expensive home. You won't know until you talk to a lender. So pay down as much of your debt as you can. Make sure your credit is in great shape. As I just pointed out, today's mortgage interest rate, if you've got great credit, is a little under 7%. And if you've got the average credit score for the U.S., around 700 it will be almost 7.5%. That's a big difference, and it's going to cost you you know, a significant amount, depending on how much the house is. Um, get pre-approved so you know exactly how much you can spend and move quickly when you find the right house. And then you know, something that I think every buyer should do, you're typically buying with somebody, right, spouse or partner, sit down and have a conversation about trade-offs. What are you willing to give up? Because you may find that you're willing to give up different things, and you have to come to that understanding, that meeting of the minds ahead of time. So again, when you do find something that's close to what you want, you can act quickly. What's the flip side of that? I'm going to be a seller. What resolutions, what do I need to be resolved to this year? Well, one of the things that sellers do, they make this mistake quite often, is you think in a hot market, you can just price at any price and the house will sell. It's not what happens, though. What Psychologically, buyers are very attuned to where the price should be. Their agents are telling them where it is. And so you do better off as a seller if you price your home correctly, right, competitively, at where the market is, rather than pricing it high and waiting for somebody to make a low-ball offer. So pricing your home correctly, getting all the information you need to generate the most interest you can that's actually how you're going to end up with the highest price. So make sure you understand that mental game that's going on. And then adjust your expectation to meet market demand. I mean, what you own may or may not be the most popular thing in the market today. And if it isn't, try to adjust your expectation ahead of time because letting your house sit there months and months and months doesn't do anybody any good. It's just going to be really frustrating for you. And then finally, really invest in creating a standout online presence for your home, even if you're selling it vacant. There's technology today that your agent can help you with that'll show people online what your house might look like if it had furniture in it, even if you're selling it vacant. So you want to take advantage of that. Make sure everybody in the universe knows your house is for sale and get it out there and and push it as hard as you can. 
Uh, I have 15 seconds for your reaction here. Are you completely on board with that digital staging of homes? Because at first I thought that was not bait and switch, but that's not what the house looks like inside. Yes, I'm okay with it, but I don't think you should be buying your house sight unseen only because of what you've seen on the Internet. Get out, go see the house, see if it really matches it up, and then no harm, no foul. 1227. One more segment with Elise Glink. We haven't even gotten to personal finance ideas. And tell me about some of the major financial stories of the year after the news on WGN. This is the Wintrust Business Lunch. John Williams, Happy New Year's Eve's Eve to you. And remember that uh, starting on Sunday morning, Elise Glink with Tom Fortino will begin their Weekend Wealth show now an hour long. Sunday mornings at 7 a.m. Think Glink Media, thinklink.com. The website for our guest, Elise, you normally hear her on Mondays. So you gave us some good wisdom for home buyers and sellers. What just about for all of us? What personal finance resolution should we be thinking about? Well, you know, it's been interesting to look, John, at the three years of personal finance um, <laughs> reaction or and what's happened to our money in the last three years because of the pandemic. I mean, if you think about it, back in February of 2022, the unemployment rate was about where it is now, about three and a half percent. And by April, it was nearly 15 percent. Do you remember we used to talk about it every day? It was like, okay, another 15 million people lost their jobs today. But that what was interesting about that, I mean, besides that all these people lost their jobs, is that the unemployment rate really differed for men and women. Like men and women really experienced the pandemic differently at different points in time. And in the beginning, it was really women who had a much higher level of unemployment, 16.1%. Uh, because women dropped out to care for sick relatives or manage kids. And then by 2021, last year, the unemployment rate had dropped all the way down to 6.4%. And by September of this year, it fell all the way back to 3.5%, which is the lowest levels in history. And it was the steepest, never before, right, steepest rise and decline in U.S. unemployment ever in the shortest period of time. And what we've seen since then, you know, then we had crazy raging inflation this year, and we've seen people, you know, bound back. They've, they've got their salaries increased and they're making a little bit more money, spending more. I think one of the things to really watch this year is how you can actually recapture what we all did back in 2020, 2021, where we literally stopped spending. We just said we're not going to do that for a while and we're just going to put all that money in the bank. And I think Americans surprised themselves by how much less they could live with. Yeah, that, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking, well, one of the reasons that the up and down of unemployment and all of those things was so unique is that it wasn't just the market that was doing it. It was a self-imposed shutdown of businesses mm. at the start of the pandemic. I mean, never before have we sort of thrown ourselves into our own kind of financial whiplash. This was self-imposed. And I think one of the questions that we're going to be asking for a long time and maybe answering differently is what did we do right and what did we do wrong starting in March of 2020? I mean, we're still on a day-to-day -day basis living with the effects of that, right? We are. And I think we're going to see it play out again in China, which has now decided they're just going to open up because their own citizens are protesting um, what they've been doing over there. But 
When you look at the at the U.S. and people's finances, the biggest change that I've seen this year, John, is people said, you know, I'm done. I'm done with working the way I was working. We actually saw the founder of Home Depot complaining about that loudly <laughs> in the Wall Street Journal yesterday. Um, oh, I missed they, that. What was that all about? Oh, he says people are lazy and they don't want to work anymore. And I think he's got it a little bit wrong. I don't think that people are lazy. I think that what they've done in great mass numbers is make a recalculation about what's important to them in their lives and how they're going to go and enjoy that now because tomorrow is more uncertain for them than it's ever been. And that sea change has caused the great resignation where we've seen so many people just leave their companies, walk away. They've refused to come back full time. We've seen all kinds of companies try to induce cokes. A pull, a demand that their employees come back. They have not come back. They're fighting back and demanding that they have at least a hybrid, if not a fully work-from-home option. And I think we're going to see more of it. And, and I think people are very willing now, John, because they have seen that they can live with less. I think they're willing to do that in exchange for more flexibility, more control over their time, and to be able to live where and how they want. And it's, it's just fascinating. I agree. The object of the game is to be happy. It's not to make the most money. And for a long time, I think we've equated the two. So if working less, having less money and less material goods makes you happier because of what you get in exchange for that, uh, who are any of us to criticize that? It's none of our beeswax how you live your life, as long as it doesn't impede upon mine. Where I just get a little sideways is this idea of quietly quitting, of still doing the job but not working as hard. And maybe the employers had the stick and were exercising it too much before. You know, maybe the pendulum was too far over that way. But this idea that I'm only going to work so hard or that I'm not going to even honestly work, I'm not going to give you a full 40 hours or whatever I'm being compensated for, I'm not... I'm not too warm to that. I was having a conversation with somebody recently who just kind of shrugged and said, well, I don't blame people. And I, I think at some point you're either stealing from the company or you're stealing from your fellow employees if you're not giving 100% for what you're being paid to do. How do you, it, how do you react to that? I, I think it's a fair point. Um, I will say I think it's always gone on. So I remember, I mean, decades ago when I first came into the Chicago Tribune as a, you know, freelance writer, a stringer, as they used to call us, and I would look around and there would be people in the corners, writers who never produced much of anything. And I was turning out a hundred plus, you know, freelance stories a year. And I saw people getting by with 10. And I thought, why aren't they working harder? <laughs> um, and I think that that goes on across all companies and has for a long time. I think now we've given it a catchy Gen Z name. Yeah. And I think that we're watching for it. But I do think that's been going on. And I do think it is, in some ways, stealing from the company. On the other hand, John, with cell phones, people are on call 24-7. Mm-hmm. There are no weekends. Mm-hmm. There are no evenings off. If you get an email or a text from your boss... There's an expectation you have to respond, even if it's 10 p.m. Well, ask my producer, Ashley, who was trading notes with me last night and early this morning and all weekend long. I mean, so I I, I should be especially sensitive to how 
okay, boomer, I just sounded. I mean, I, I, I understand that. <laughs> and, I, and I think I acknowledge that I think the pendulum was too far the other way. Why do you think people didn't come back when the pandemic was over? When their kids went back to school, we said everybody would go back to work when the kids went back to school because then we wouldn't have to stay home and watch them in the pandemic. And that was 2020. And that was the fall of 2020. We thought that was going to happen. Certainly 2021. It's going to be 2023 in a couple of days, and it still hasn't happened. So I guess there's all the proof I need that maybe employers weren't, if not accommodating enough, not aware enough of how much they were asking from their employees, right? Yeah, I I think that that's a a very fair point. Um, And I do think we're going to see a continual reevaluation of what people want to do. And I think the Instagrammable life that we've talked about, John, this year, I think that plays into it. People see a different lifestyle. They think it's attainable whether you want to live in a van or not. They're willing to take a a chance and try. Well, I wonder. I'll bet that's the next series that's going to be written. So to the people that have quietly quit or quit outright, decided I'm going to live with less, I'm not going to... Not going to work for the man that hard anymore. I wonder how that's going to feel in a year, you know, when either they don't have a mortgage or they don't have equity or they don't have some of the material things that do make life a little easier. I'm not judging people's lifestyles. I'm really not. But I'm just wondering if in time after living that way for a while, if they're going to think it was a fair trade or maybe they should have been a little more conscious of tangible assets or assets of any kind. Yeah, I I think that if you're going to try that lifestyle, if you're going to try living with less, moving out, doing something different, you know, the resolutions I would say to you are stop spending, save more, pay down your credit card debt. We're, again, at all-time high levels of credit card debt, so somebody's out there charging. And challenge yourself, right? If you set a specific and challenging goal... Uh, according to the American Psychological Association, uh, you will achieve higher performance than if you set an easy goal. So, you know, it's not just enough to say I'm going to do my best. If you want to be out middle of 2023 and living in your van, put that down in writing and start uh, reverse engineering your way to that goal or whatever the goal is, buying a house, getting married, you know, getting a new job, uh, retiring early, whatever whatever it is that you want to do. The best thing you can do is write that down, post it over your desk or wherever you sit every single day, look at it, commit to it, and then start figuring out how you're going to get there. Thinklink.com, the website for Elise Glink, the financial real estate writer and thinker. I always recommend her book as a uh, Christmas gift or a start of the new year for uh, people that are buying houses um, or or reconsidering their finances. You can hear her Sunday morning at 7 a.m. with Tom Fortino. Okay, Elise, thanks for your thoughts today. It's a pleasure, John. Happy New Year to you and all of our listeners. 1246 on the Wintrust Business Lunch. The business news continues now. Here's Don Kleppen. Start your timer. It's time for the Wintrust Business Minute, sharing Chicago's business news of the day. The state is telling minimum wage workers to keep an eye on their January paychecks to make sure their employers comply with the new $13 minimum wage in 2023. The pay increase was part of the 2019 legislation, which eventually moves that minimum wage up to $15 an hour by 2025. Next season, you will not be seeing FTX logos on Major League umpire uniforms. Front Office Sports reports 
that Major League Baseball is breaking from the embattled cryptocurrency exchange FTX. MLB was the first sports league to have a deal with FTX. Umpires wore a patch of the company's logo on their chest. FTX has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And Christmas Eve and Christmas Day Nielsen ratings showed Chicago-based cable news network News Nation, owned by WGN parent company Nexstar, beat Fox News and MSNBC in key evenings ratings on Saturday and Sunday. News Nation Prime drew 47% more viewers among adults 25 to 54 years old than MSNBC on Christmas Eve. Fox News and MSNBC still won in total overall viewers for the weekend. That's your Trust Business Minute. I'm Don Kleppen. Yes, and if you're making New Year's resolutions about food, keep in mind... One of the hardest parts about making resolutions is keeping them. We'll hear a bit more advice from Pam of The Office after I tell you we're sponsored by the Chevy Silverado HD. Experience life in HD. Visit ChevyDriveChicago.com. Now, back to the advice about resolutions from Pam. In fact, why don't we go around and confess some of the ways that we've already fudged on our resolutions? Well, I said that I would eat more vegetables... And I haven't yet, but it's okay. I still have time. Since last year, I ate none. Yeah, that was Kevin sharing his shortcomings. And here to offer him and the rest of us some vegetable helper is Courtney Shuckman. I am one of the adult GI dietitians at the University of Chicago Medical Center. And if you're gung-ho to eat healthier and exercise every day and lose weight and become a brand new you... Simmer down. I think it's important to start gradual. Um, For a lot of people, I recommend maybe making one new change per week. Yeah, maybe start out by adding a fruit and vegetable to each meal. And then kind of building off of that as it becomes more habitual, adding some additional changes. And if you're looking for the one change in your diet that will make the biggest difference, lay off the ultra-processed foods. And these are the foods with a laundry list of ingredients. They tend to be packaged items with a nutrition facts label so they're easy to identify. Uh, Yeah, all of the things we really enjoy. Cookies, candy, um, convenience items like frozen meals and chips and snack foods. But here's the good news. Courtney's a big fan of moderation, which... Tends to be a more sustainable approach where you don't develop this restrictive mindset around food. And it often results in less preoccupation with food, this constant, like thinking about food, dreaming about food. People dream about food? Yeah, actually not that uncommon, yes. Okay, one final piece of advice from University of Chicago dietitian Courtney Shuckman. Don't go the route of these very extreme diets. And whatever you do, do not have Michael Scott as your eat more vegetables coach. Put it in your mouth and just eat it. God, I hate it. I don't care whether you hate it. You said you'd do it. All right. Eat it. Eat it! Well, here's hoping yours is a healthy and happy 2023. That's the business of food on 720 WGN. Jim Dalkey joins us on the Trust Business Lunch, a frequent guest, of course, every week from Chicago Inno, the senior editor there. Welcome back to the show, Jim. How are you? Hey, John. Happy holidays. Thanks for having me. And happy new year. How, how Lofty Ventures is building Chicago's tech ecosystem through angel investing. Well, there's a few of the things we talk about all year long, right? Uh, the tech ecosystem, um, angel investing. What's this story here today? Yeah, you know, we've been writing about Chicago startups for just about a decade now. And I can tell you that consistently, uh, the criticism we hear about the growth and health of Chicago's startup scene is really the lack of early, early stage capital. I mean, the checks that go into companies way before they even have a paying customer. These are what we call angel investors in the startup world. And Chicago just 
has not had the, the the growth in that department compared to other cities. The uh, stories go in San Francisco, you can walk into a Starbucks and come out with three angel investors after you finish your latte. Uh, in Chicago, it's just not quite the same. And so um, one of the most kind of frequent angel investors in the city over the last few years has been a guy by the name of Chris Deutsch. He is the founder of Lofty Ventures and this is an angel investing firm that writes these really, really early checks. They've founded a lot of companies out throughout Chicago. They were an early investor in QB. QB is this really interesting sort of under desk elliptical uh, company out of Chicago. They sold for a hundred million dollars, and so they got a nice win there. And um, really, what Lofty Ventures is looking to do now is create an angel syndicate. And essentially, what this means is it's a group that allows. Um, an investing group that allows other startup founders in Chicago to invest small amounts, think like as little as $1,000, and they can be essentially early startup investors in their peers. So they're going to invest in other startups around town. So they think this is an opportunity to get those uh, early, early checks into more founders in Chicago. He makes himself sound like a pauper, though. Well, not a pauper, but he says, I don't have Mark Cuban's money. I've got a couple million dollars I'm deploying. It sounds like he's probably got a little more than that, huh? You know, I think he did pretty well in the QB deal, and that's really kind of the benefit you know, of angel investing. You know, in angel investing, you're going to make a lot of bets. A lot of them are not going to pan out. But the ones that do, um, you know, you're an early check in a company that sells for, you know, $100 million or more. And that's a really significant outcome for those investors. And so that's when we talk about a tech ecosystem, you know, really a lot of that is, you know, founders, you know, getting some wealth after a successful business and reinvesting that into kind of the next crop of startups. So um, that's really a trend I think we've seen across the board in Chicago, which has been really interesting over the last few years, founders uh, reinvesting in kind of the next generation of Chicago tech leaders. Right. And speaking of betting, talk to me about BetSpurts Group. Who are they? What's the latest here? Yeah, BetSpurts is a Chicago sports betting startup. They don't uh, take bets exactly. They are more of a research tool and a social media engine, essentially helps you kind of find other gamblers, other sports bettors, and maybe tail their bets if you find the successful gambler who's uh, doing particularly well. Um, so BetSpurts has grown really quickly. Uh, they raised about $6 million last year. Kevin Durant is actually an investor in these guys. Um, but just last week, uh, BetSpurts announced an acquisition. So they acquired Bleacher Nation. If you're a Chicago Cubs fan, you might know Bleacher Nation. This was a Chicago Cubs blog that launched back in 2008. They covered the Bears and some other Chicago sports. Uh, and so this is really a content play for BetSpurts. We've seen the sports gambling and the content industry really overlap. Um, you know, we've seen, uh, you know, you know, pin gaming and barstool sports have a deal. Um, we've seen DraftKings really invest into content as well with the Dan Levitard show. So uh, really, this is an opportunity for BetSports to continue to you know expand its reach. And it thinks that it has an opportunity here to plug into the, the audience at Bleacher Nation and get more folks plugged into its, its gambling platform as well. And so, um, yeah, just a, another move here by BetSports, which is a really fast-growing Chicago sports betting startup. The edition you all wrote will give BetSpurts an audience of more than 25 million unique users. That's because they're going to acquire Bleacher Nation. But this whole category of sports betting really is, is not slowing down, is it? 
No, it's not. And it really, you know, it's, you know, in many ways, it kind of mirrors what you see, you know, on the cannabis legalization, right? It's a, it's a state-by-state yeah. approach. Every state that continues to change the, the rules and the laws and, and uh, really opens up this industry even more. Um, so, you know, with that comes, you know, downsides too, right? Now everybody's not just watching the game. Everybody is betting on the game way more than it was kind of as it was sort of, you know, illegal before. And so, you know, we're going to have to kind of see as a nation as we adjust to the the, the, the common, uh, you know, couch <laughs> bettors and, and sports watchers there. But, um, you know, bet sports where they really believe it's like, hey, if we can create a, a social media platform for folks and really expand our reach that way. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting as a society to see what the ramifications are of that. But for now, business marches on and they're following it. Jim Dalkey, as always, appreciate your time and thoughts today. Thanks for jumping in with us. Thanks, John. WGN Radio News in the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. That's next.